You are listening to the first episode of Unwelcome Visitor, Pandemic in the UK's Playground, a podcast series taking a look at the events of the past 12 months. Each week, we'll speak to a variety of guests and reflect on what life in lockdown has been like for those living in Devon and Cornwall. This week, we'll be looking back at the first couple of months of the pandemic, a daunting time for many in the southwest. We'll be speaking to some of those who were most affected by the restrictions, as well as some experts who will be able to give an overview of this time period and the events leading to the first lockdown. As concerns that an alien virus was reaching the UK, we all wanted to know one thing. What is coronavirus? So uh, this new coronavirus has its origin amongst bats. And what has happened is that this virus has jumped species it was resident and doing nothing and no harm to humans and has gone from bats to another animal which we don't know which one it was and in that animal it reassorted itself meaning it changed its makeup a little bit and that change has resulted in it being able to infect humans and not only infect humans directly but from person to person as well so now what we have is a new virus that before didn't do us any harm, didn't affect us, didn't touch us, to actually it can infect us, cause disease and make us very ill. That was Dr. Barrett Pakani, Exeter University's communicable disease and public health expert, speaking to Devon Live in March 2020. At the time of the interview, workers were still going into busy offices and children were huddled up in classrooms. It's easy to say that the events of the past 12 months have been unprecedented. And for those living in a tourist-dependent community, the eerie silence of the first lockdown was particularly jarring. Cornwall, as a region, thrives on the hustle and bustle of summer holidays and the arrival of visitors. Malcolm Bell is the chief executive of Visit Cornwall. We asked him about how the pandemic affected tourism. Well, this year has been, for everybody, the most unusual year. I mean, I think probably going into January, you were aware of a virus in China, but nobody really ever thought about it. And then slowly during the realisation in February that this thing was getting serious with Italy. And uh, and then in March, when it was really getting get its hold in the UK, and actually Visit Cornwall was the first tourist board in the country to actually say, don't come, which was sort of four or five days before lockdown. And then we had the terrible 13 weeks of lockdown where the industry actually was a bit of blind panic because lots of the deposits had already been used to refurbish places and spend the, you know, the, the cash flows at its lowest. Nobody knew how long it was going to go on. So that first sort of month of March and April was really a lot of panic and a lot of worry. After being forced to close during lockdown, many businesses across Cornwall were excited to be welcoming back visitors. But of course, there was still some concern. Um, I think the thing then in July and August went really well. I mean, we're probably still about 10% down on a normal year because of reduced occupancy. I know it didn't feel that way for local people, especially. And lots of local people were able to get out on the beaches. So the beaches were incredibly busy. But actually, we were slightly down uh, because lots of places couldn't take their full capacity, especially holiday parks and campsites. Uh, September uh, went really well. That's probably up. and Probably we were starting to make ground then, maybe clawed back 100, 150 million pounds of the losses. And the same in October helped to claw back. So probably entering into November, 
we're probably only about half a billion pounds worth of losses, about 25, maybe 30% of losses. But obviously business has been supported with furlough and grants. I'm actually relieved and delighted that all the way through July, August and September, we had over 2 million visitors. The infection rate did not go up. That was probably because of two or three factors. One was actually visitors on the whole and locals were very good at, at maintaining um, the rules. I know there were, there were people that didn't and that was easily condemned by us as well. But out of 2 million people, the vast majority did. Secondly, it was mainly outdoors and good weather, which the virus doesn't like. And I think thirdly, a lot of our visitors do come from the suburbs and we're not a cheap destination. So many people were coming from low infection rates, even if they might have been in a region with higher infection rates. But the other thing we've got to learn from this year is there is an issue about numbers and capacity in Cornwall. And we will be working with the enterprise company uh, partnership, sorry, the, uh, the council and other partners on a 10 year strategy for tourism because there's lessons to be learned from this year going forward. We need a we need a viable, vibrant, prosperous visitor economy, but we also need to protect the environment and protect their communities. So we need to get that balance right moving forward and, and 2020 can be the trigger point for getting that right for the next decade. It's difficult to remember a time before hand sanitizer and social distancing. But in January 2020, sat in a busy office in Plymouth, a coronavirus headline was written for the first time. Hello, I'm Ron Preston-Ellis and I'm Regional Content Editor for uh, Devon Live, Cornwall Live and Plymouth Live. We just picked up on a story that had already been picked up on by a few of other sites across our network saying that there was this mystery virus, is how it was described, that had been identified in China and um, it already caused the, the death of one person, I think and that hospitals in, in the UK had been told to be put on alert for it, basically, and, and, and just been made aware of it. So at the time, the details were very vague, but it seemed like a, it seemed like an interesting story. Obviously, we could have had no, um, no sort of prediction of, of how it would turn out. But so, so many things um, have changed so quickly with that. So you're sort of not, you know, used to not being able to see friends or family or um, not being able to go to the pub with your friends, or if you are going to the pub or to a shop, you have to wear a face mask. And it's just amazing really how quickly people have adapted to this completely alien way of life. And if you know, you'd know, you said to me or anyone when I sat writing that story on um, January the 15th that in two months' time we'd, we'd all be in lockdown and there'd be thousands of people people dying, it would have, um, you know, it would, it would almost have been hard to comprehend. But once, you know, once you're faced with it, it's just amazing, really, the, the human reaction and how, and how people adapt and, and come together at a tough time. Just a couple of months later, and the virus had made its first appearance in the southwest. Paul Greaves is a journalist at Devon Live and was sent out to report on the unfolding story. So I was working at home at that time and I had the, the call from the news desk to head down to Churston Ferris Grammar School. This was March the 2nd. And the information we had at that time was that there was a suspected COVID-19 case at the school involving a student. So this is very early on in the spread of this pandemic. We were obviously aware that this was going to be a big story, but clearly the, uh, the full implications of coronavirus and its spread in the UK were not at that time apparent. So I headed down to South Devon, 
the school itself is between Paynton and Brixham. And when I got there, there was very little to see. As you, you could imagine, the school had been, uh, the children and the staff had all been told to go home and isolate. So there was nobody there. So I did more or less two minutes or so to camera just to explain what it was we knew at that time about what had happened. And if, if memory serves, um, there wasn't a great deal of information. Public Health England had released a statement earlier that day to say, I think there were five cases in England, and this was the first case in the Southwest. At that time, they were still calling it a, a suspected coronavirus case. So that gives you some indication of how the, the system was it was still regarded as something of a, of a novelty, a suspected case. I don't, can't remember how long it took to confirm it was indeed a case. We knew that the student had returned recently from Italy. So all the information seemed to point to the virus having arrived in, in South Devon. Although the coronavirus case had not yet been confirmed in Devon, the idea that an unknown virus had arrived was big news. The piece to camera that I did, I can remember basically during that physically shrugging my shoulders because of the lack of information and saying, look, we're in the hands of, of the health experts with this one. We're, we're in the hands of the scientists. And I didn't know at that, that point, but that was essentially the, that was the situation we'd be in for the rest of the year. We're still in the hands of the scientists and the health experts as regards coronavirus. The other thing I remember, well, the other thing I've, I've noticed looking back at the um, recording is that I actually mispronounced the word coronavirus, which is a bit embarrassing. I called it coronavirus. Um, again, it really is just an indication that um, it was probably the first time I'd ever said the word out, out loud to myself. We were at that stage we were in the wash your hands phase. This is about three weeks, I think, before the full lockdown. So the government was telling everybody to wash their hands and follow all the instructions regarding cleanliness. And that is essentially all Devon Live was doing at the time. We were, we were simply relaying the information from the government. The effects of the pandemic on local businesses could not have been predicted. Pubs and restaurants across the country were forced to close their doors at a time when trade would normally be about to boom. Right, hi, uh, my name is Stuart. Uh, I'm calling from the clock tower in Sidmouth. Like many, Stuart was preparing for a busy spring and summer trade when the first lockdown was announced. I think firstly, um, the, the business has been like most uh, or all hospitality um, venues in this country, effective, uh, affected massively. Um, I don't think anybody could have ever um, considered that their business could have been impacted in such a hard way. Um, it has put us right against the wall. We have struggled to survive from day one. Um, our staff and ourselves have had no idea really as to what was happening and how best to deal with it. Um, we have had to adapt our business and move in many different directions in order to keep afloat. Um, so, you know, it, it has had undoubtedly a catastrophic effect on our business. Stuart felt the better support could have been offered to businesses who were no longer able to trade due to restrictions. 
as of, as as ourselves, uh, myself and and my business partner and wife Justine, um, it, it has been a very very painful um, period of time. Um, when the announcement was made initially, uh, we had just um, finished only only very recently in the last eighteen months or so a huge revamp of the business, investing more and more money. So to have the rug pulled from under our feet um, on the weekend of, of Mothering Sunday, as it was when we were expecting to have a really, really busy um, last hurrah, if you like, um, was a real kick in the teeth to us. Um, you know, and I've been doing this now for 30 years. I've, I've been in the same business and we you know we put so much time, energy and money into it that it we feel drained. Um, and, you know, now we feel, um, you know, that our energy has been sapped uh, and, and trying to um, sort of get ourselves back together again and, and think about how we rebuild and where we go from here. Um, really scary and, and really uncertain times, I think. Showing that we are a valued um, member of, of the community. We've had so much fabulous feedback um, from uh, our, our regular customers. Um, and, you know, because we, we started a, um, a delivery service of meals to people's doors uh, in the, during the first lockdown, which was very well, well received. Um, we had to hev heavily subsidize it. Um, but, you know, the feedback that we've had, the, the cards, the letters, um, from you know the local community has been has been really great. If the hospitality industry in this country collapses, then there really isn't a great deal going for us, is there? You know we've we've come out of the EU now. We are self-sufficient. So because of that, you know the hospitality industry in this country is one of the finest that there is, uh, and it and it needs protection. It absolutely needs protection. Um, I was speaking to uh, somebody recently who has a pub. Uh, and, uh, you know, didn't know what was going on from one minute to the next. So bought in um, a load of beer to see him through the next few weeks. And then and then you get locked down. Um, so that all gets poured down the drain. It's got to be more structured. It's got to be more certain. There's got to be, uh, you know, less ambiguity here. And people at the top, people working up with the people at the top that actually have a clue what's going on and are actually affected by the decisions that are made by the high and mighty. While we all adjusted to life in lockdown and grappled with how restrictions would affect our day-to-day -day lives, others were preparing for another life-changing event. So I'm Philippa Jenkins. I'm one of the regional editors for Reach in the Southwest. Um, and I gave birth to my son, who was my first last June. So I was off on maternity from May and came back in January. Across the country, Thousands of women were preparing to bring a child into the world in circumstances far beyond what they would have expected nine months previously. Overall in pregnancy, you clearly have to start thinking about another thing or another being that's within you. But I think because of the wider situation, it made it even more important that um, as a pregnant person, you wanted to stay healthy because clearly there were going to be much wider impacts for you, but also the baby if you didn't. Clearly, there's the other side to it, though, as well, which were the impacts from the point of view of um, the actual medical side of it and, and the care that you were receiving as a pregnant person, um, which luckily for me didn't change too dramatically because of how it felt. I'd already had my main scans 
before before COVID actually arrived. So that was great. That happened in the nick of time. Um, but then further down the line, things like the midwife appointments, that obviously was um, impacted because I had to be on my own. You know, even just from the point of view of going to midwife appointments, you'd go into the surgery um, and there'd be no one else there because, of course, no one else was able to have appointments and they wouldn't be able to wait inside. And obviously all the midwives are masked up um, and they had their PPE on. So I think for me, the scariest part um, being pregnant was actually really towards the end. The day before that Theo was actually due, I then got concerned that I'd stopped feeling his movements. And so the result of that was that we did have to go to A&E. And knowing that that obviously would be quite a different scenario because of all the COVID restrictions, had to accept that. Uh, went along to get checked out because of course that was the most important thing Um, but because of how it was at that time I obviously had to go into the hospital on my own and and be checked over by the midwives which is all completely fine Um, they were obviously lovely about it he was completely fine Um, it was just a scare thankfully Um, but what happened because I was um, on the radar for possibly needing to be induced anyway was that I was then put in this really tiny room um, after everything was confirmed that Theo was fine. A consultant ended up coming back into the room um, and effectively what he said to me was that uh, they really wanted to induce me there and then that night, um, which basically looked like me uh, not leaving the hospital again and um, not having any contact with anyone as a result because of course once you were inside, no one could come in and you couldn't leave. You wouldn't have been able to um, have anything brought to you. That was all very scary um, and, and obviously would have potentially meant that I'd have been in hospital on my own, particularly if you're induced. You could be on your own for a good 24 hours whilst that's all taking place. So um, not really an environment that you want to be in, particularly when you're in labour. Essentially, what ended up happening was some quite serious, scary discussions between my husband and I in terms of the risks that I was taking uh, for our unborn baby's life versus obviously the comfort of the environment that we were going to be in. Um, But we did end up leaving um, and I did end up having him in a much nicer environment and a midwife-led unit a couple of days later um, without being induced. But I think being that close to a scenario of kind of being completely locked off basically from any other contact was very scary. Philippa's experiences of pregnancy, birth and motherhood will be relatable to others who went through this unique time during the pandemic. The most surreal moment, I think, was the fact that actually um, because of when I left work um, and then was obviously pretty much at home and, and hadn't gone anywhere else, it did really feel like actually I'd had like a secret pregnancy because I wasn't really showing by the time I'd left the office. And so the fact that I then kind of just that went on to have a baby in June, it was very odd because a lot of people just wouldn't have realised. And actually so much so that our neighbours who are um, a little bit older and they shielded from the word go, they didn't know. So I hadn't had a chance to tell them. And then, of course, everything locked down and they are obviously they're literally next door. We're very chatty with them, we're very friendly um, and they're really sweet and they were shielding the whole time. And so actually they didn't even know about Theo until he was six weeks old. And um that was obviously a massive shock and so much so that when I went into the drive as I saw Ted pottering about doing something um, he asked me whose it was he didn't realize obviously that we'd had a baby so that was really surreal that um, the whole thing was kind of behind closed doors in a way. You've been listening to Unwelcome Visitor 
pandemic in the UK's playground. Next week, we'll be speaking to some of the incredible characters that inspired and uplifted communities during their darkest hour. If you have a story to tell, why not get in touch via our Facebook pages.